Welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 131. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. Have you turned your key and heard that dreaded tick, 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 tick because of a dead battery? No worries. I've got the NOCO Genius Boost Jump Starter. This compact tool fits in your glove box and features rechargeable lithium battery technology that will start a dead battery in your car, boat, truck, or RV. It packs a whopping 12-volt, 400-amp starting power and can start up to 20 dead batteries on a single charge. Plus, it has built-in spark-proof technology with reverse polarity protection to safely jumpstart your vehicle. The compact, ergonomically designed clamps are solid copper for maximum conductivity, and there's a built-in ultra-bright dual LED flashlight with seven modes, including an SOS emergency strobe. It's easily rechargeable with a USB outlet, and you can charge your smartphone or tablet while you're on the road. Works on any 12-volt lead-acid battery. The Genius Boost from NOCO is the ultimate emergency tool that's safe and easy to use. Quality design, state-of-the-art technology from NOCO, your battery care source since 1914. Get yours at GeniusChargers.com. Hello, automotive enthusiasts. Today, I'm really excited to introduce a very special guest, Eric LeMay. Eric, are you buckled up and ready for a fun ride? I'm ready to go fast and hard. Let's go for it. (laughs) All right. I love that. Imagine growing up with a grandfather who holds the Guinness Book of World Records for owning the most cars. Well, Eric LeMay was that boy. He's the founding director of the Harold E. LeMay Museum, which grew into the LeMay America's Car Museum in 1997. He now works as a consultant to the LeMay Family Collection Foundation at Marymount in Tacoma, Washington, a second automotive museum that he's helped to develop. After spending some time as a sports journalist, he worked in communications for the government and then in marketing for one of the largest architectural firms in the world. Eric has combined these skills to create a world-class automobile collection to honor his grandfather. This has turned into a a nearly two-decades-long passion about teaching history through the automobile. So, Eric, I've told our listeners just a little bit about you. Would you take a little time and share some more about your history, your careers, your interests, and, of course, your passion for automobiles? It's really funny because most of my time around automobiles early on that was really mattered was my job was as my grandfather would go out, he'd buy cars. This is like when I'm 13, 14 years old and you need a summer job. He'd go out and buy all of these cars, and my job for a couple of summers was to do two things, to spray for tansy weed and to put tags on the cars in the buildings that were at the properties where I was spraying for noxic weed. Wow. <laughs> so <laughs> I basically got to see all the cars and get all of fumes of that any kid would want at 12 or 13 years old. No, it, but it was really interesting because there's a point even at that age where I was around them enough that I almost began to resent them a little bit because they were a big pain in the butt. <laughs> it was always about finding them, moving them, storing them, doing something with them. 
And I just got really sick of them to the point that I didn't appreciate them much more than just being things that had to be dealt with. Sure. And that was kind of my beginning with the cars was that, you know, as long as I got my 335 an hour to do what I needed to do, the cars really weren't that interesting to me. Uh-huh. And then I ended up, I went to school in Boston and I came back after a few years and I realized, you know, there's some pretty neat cars to grandpa <laughs> Well, yeah. And your grandfather, I mean, at, at the peak of his collection, how many cars did he have? He had nearly 3,000, we estimate. When he died in 2000, we were at probably about 2,800 cars. Wow. Or so. <laughs> so, um, so for those of you who don't know about Harold LeMay, which I'm sure almost everybody does, but for those of you who don't, that's what Eric was dealing with. <laughs> a lot yeah, of and cars. Yeah, literally what me and the Washington State Patrol and everybody that had to do checks on to get titles changed over. I mean, it was it was a big thing. And the way I always describe it is, Grandpa, he never called himself a car collector. He called himself a car saver. <laughs> he saved cars. Wonderful. The analogy that I've always used is that what it would be like, because he had so many friends that helped him do this. I mean, there are so many great people that just had fun with him doing these cars. Is I always described it as Grandpa was the hunter that would go out and slay the woolly mammoth. He'd get it drugged back to the cave, and then everybody else would dive in and carve up the woolly mammoth. <laughs> and, you know, some people would be into the fur. Some people would want to cook the barbecue. Some people, I mean, everybody has a thing they're getting out of the mammoth. Yeah, And he enjoyed the sharing of what he was slaying in that. And that's why it was that, and it was also knowing that a lot of times he was grabbing things, not just cars, but all types of things that were automobilia and other things, that nobody was, they were ephemera. They, nobody was understanding that they had a long-term value, possibly, mm-hmm. at the time. He looks at a 40 two Chevrolet blackout, and to him, you couldn't have too many of those because nobody was realizing that those one-month production 42 Chevrolet blackouts were going to really, they really mean something historically, and, you know, they really matter, and that was kind of, so he ends up with seven or eight of them. I I think when we were, I think when he died, we had the gym full one day at Marymount. I think there were like 48 40, 40 and 41 Chevys. It was something like that. Mm-hmm. But it was basically, it was like two years of Chevrolet. It was every Chevrolet that you could possibly have in a Chevrolet. That to him was how you say things. So I came back and, and I came back from Boston and I had a sports journalism career going on. And then I, you know, as you said, I moved into some other things in marketing and public relations. And then I started thinking about the cars. And I really started to have this newfound respect for the fact that he had some really good stuff that needed to be saved. Right. And that's kind of where I began my museum site. I didn't know anything about museums, but that's kind of where the seeds kind of came back together was, and I can tell you exactly, I was on a flight coming back from Hong Kong. I was watching the sunrise, and I was doing a lot of business travel to Asia. And I looked out the window. I'd just gotten married. This was 1996. And I looked out the window, and I thought, Eric, you got to come up with something so you're not killing yourself for the next 20 years 
doing this type of travel. Mm-hmm. Like, what can you do? And so I sat there for like 10 hours on the plane. <laughs> yeah. And what I basically came up with was, was asking Grandpa about the cars and making a museum. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm sure glad you had that flight because, and we'll talk about it as we go through a lot of the questions I have for you today, but as a result of that, there are two magnificent museums. The original one at Marymount, where a lot of the cars were kept, and of course, the LeMay Museum. We've had several guests here on Cars, yeah. The president and CEO, David Madeira, and the curator, Scott Keller. And Yeah, they're great. It's fantastic that you came to that realization that there needs to be something more done than all these cars sitting all over the place like your grandfather had. So I think that's really cool. And there's so many parts to this story we could talk about. But what I'd love to do is is start our talk here with an inspirational quote. And and this is a saying that has been a, a part of your life, some has some meaning to you. It's a great way to get the inspirational tires turning here on Cars Yeah. So Eric, take the wheel. Well, I had to actually look up what the real quote was because I remember it one way in my head and I ended up, I, I was wrong. <laughs> well, good. I'm glad you looked it up. The way I remember it is you see a rock pile but I see how a cathedral is made. Oh, wow. What it's from is from um, St. Exuberi's Little Prince. And the actual real quote is, a rock pile ceases to be a rock pile the moment a single man contemplates it, bearing with him the image of a cathedral. Hmm, wonderful. That's been important to me a whole bunch of times. But when it comes to the cars, yeah, I kind of talked about watching the sudden come up on the airplane was this moment of like, I suddenly realized it wasn't just a bunch of cars and crippity crap. It actually had some, it had some historical, it had a lot of value culturally, historically, from an industrial history standpoint. And because I hadn't really been a car person, for some reason that had just never dawned on me. Mm Mm-hmm. I was looking at a rock pile. Grandpa was looking at a cathedral. You know, I love that. It's a major paradigm shift, obviously, for you in that that moment of brilliance there with the sun coming up on that plane. I've been on many long flights like that, and they do, they do give you an opportunity to, to think. And uh, I'm sure glad, and there's a lot of people that are sure glad that you did that. That's, that's fantastic. You know, you shared with me in our pre-show talk about in your early days, and you shared it with the audience here, cars were not that important, but that obviously changed in your life. Can you tell us a moment in time that instigated your passion for cars, that pivotal moment in your life when you really knew you were a car guy? Yeah. Before I started, so this would have been August of 95. That's <laughs> when I really started kind of the hounding on the, to Grandpa. That This is something that I think we can make happen. Mm-hmm. But I was at the car show. One of the things, if you ever go to our big annual car show out in Parkland Spanaway area. And I highly recommend it if you're in town in August. It's fantastic. Oh, it's unbelievable. It it's is. thousands of cars and it's wonderful. One of the things I had to do was I had to sit in a chair in a room. And basically what you're supposed to do is you're supposed to sit there and make sure nobody touches the cars or does anything wrong. Mm-hmm. And it can be very boring. But you sit and listen to and I happened to end up among some Chevrolets, mm-hmm. 50 Chevrolets, mm-hmm. so I think 55, 56, 57. I think there was an Impala, a couple of Impalas. And I became fascinated listening to people come by and talk about 
their their car experiences. And that's something I hadn't really ever heard before because my car experiences were climbing around in them and trying to find the VIN numbers. So, you know, I mean, I just, yeah. and I hadn't heard. And the one, the moment that got me and I thought, wow, this is powerful, was this woman came up and she just stood there and she was staring at a 55 Chevy and she had her fingers on her lips and she just stood there kind of facing away from me. And she turned back around to me, and her mascara had run. She was crying. <laughs> wow. And I said, are you okay? And she said, yeah, except I can smell the perfume that I had on my first date with my husband. <laughs> wow. And that was the moment where I realized the car wasn't, it really, it wasn't what was important in that whole scenario. That's not how you could ever, it's not how you're going to talk to most of the population about it. Right. Big part of the population is that remembering that smell, that feeling, and you know, so and there's something more to it. And then what your job becomes is for people who didn't have that real time interaction, how to make them feel like she did. Right. <laughs> how to create a new experience with the cars. So they can get a feeling of what made this woman just cry because she could smell perfume that she hadn't worn in 50 years. Yeah. Oh, that's that's awesome. What a wonderful story. Wonderful moment. It really epitomizes what the car and the importance of the car means to people. Even if you're not a passionate car person, it brings back those memories and uh, those wonderful times. That's awesome that you got to experience that. Eric, what I want to do now is is take a look at some of the roads you've driven down and crawl under the hood here and ask you to share a huge challenge or even a great failure that you faced in your career. Maybe, hopefully, it had something to do with trying to develop these museums because I'm sure the hurdles were just huge. But more importantly, could you share how you overcame that situation and what you learned from it? Um, well, the biggest challenge when it came to the museums was realizing I wasn't going to be the one who was going to finish the big, the biggest museum, America's Card Museum. That I wasn't going to be the leader of the finish of that, the mm-hmm. race to the finish line for that. Right. Um, I had worked all those years and got got the property deal pretty much done with the city. Had gone through all the nuts and bolts, and it suddenly became that because I was Harold's grandson. That kind of started to get in the way. I could see it coming. Mm-hmm. And this, this was really hard for me because I worked so hard to learn about museums and about cars and about the business. And I worked with so many consultants and done so much. At first, I just get a little irritated that because I was Harold's grandson, that must mean that I'm just, for some reason, I'm getting to do this just because of that and right. not because I know my now better than almost anybody in the country <laughs> and I can do it rope at that point sure that was really difficult for me of knowing that my road had come to an end with what I could do and but I had also built that in myself which made it easier actually because I had been the one that been going around saying that we were never going to have a great car museum of any type if it were a family, run organization. Families don't make museums. Communities make museums. That can be your local community in Pierce County. It could be the 
car community in the Pacific Northwest. It could be the Ford Model A Club of, you know, our Galloping Gerties. It could be name a community, but those communities are what become the savers that create great museums. Right. Families that don't really do that very well. Sure. And they shouldn't because that's not how they last forever. So I kind of dug my own grave. I kind of had to <laughs> put my own coffin together. And there was a moment where I had to, and that was, that was like the hardest time ever because it felt like a little bit I was failing by having to stop. Oh, sure. And, and then it felt like I was losing control. Like, because all these ideas were still in my head. Mm-hmm. But I knew that that's what was best. And fortunately, my, my good old family, and especially my Uncle Doug and my Grandma Nancy, they kind of kept going and thinking, well, maybe we have two museums here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And they're two different types of entities. And they're, they're two different brands and flavors, but they are LeMay. Yeah. And so after I took I took about two years off and didn't do anything with cars. I didn't even talk to anybody about cars. In fact, it never even came up in my life anything about cars. And after two years of just being away from it, I came back and started helping with the development of Marymount. And that's just been wonderful because it's it's a nonprofit museum in the same way. It's got a board of directors. It's completely separate from LeMay ACM. And it's really just been, it's been so much fun because a lot of people in my family hate it when I use this term, but it's kind of a dirty fingernails museum. It's a lot more hands-on and a lot more, we use docents, so it's all guided tours. Things move around. It's not just cars. It's all types of other great stuff. It's on a beautiful campus, an 80-acre campus. It's just a completely different style, a different retail style of doing museums. And it's very reflective of our family. That's kind of how I overcame. I was getting involved with that and embracing that. On we go now. We're going to have two museums. I love that story, and I appreciate you sharing that very personal story. I can see the challenges there, and the fact that you knew when it was time to get out of the driver's seat and let someone else drive is absolutely fantastic. Appreciate that. Great story. Let's shift gears here and go to the other end of the spectrum. I'd love for you to share a story when you had an aha moment in your career. And I assume there's probably some point in time with the museum where you you hit a point where you went, you know what, I think this is really going to make it. Could you share that with us and tell us the steps you took to turn that aha moment into your success? Yeah, I know exactly where my aha moment was for the museums. I took a very, very wealthy, well-known car collector around on a tour of at my grandparents' house and at Marymount, and we spent like two or three hours. It was pouring rain. We had gone to to Marymount, and we had driven back to the house, and he was going to drop me off at my car. We were sitting there in the pouring, pouring rainstorm, and he was just being silent. He hadn't said anything about anything the whole day, and I'm sitting there thinking, this is back when I'm just, I, I mean, I was probably about three months into the whole project of the museum mm-hmm. and i said well you know what what do we do what, what do you think what what's you know is this possible and he turned to me and he said well you know the world's largest ball of string is in minnesota and it gets like a hundred thousand people a year <laughs> now there's a perspective for you 
Yeah, and I thought, and then he laughed because he wasn't saying it like this was a giant false spirit. He was like, "All right, you know, really, you really have to kick the can to screw this up." Right? <laughs> like, yeah. Oh, that's and, uh, that's marvelous. <laughs> yeah, because then because then he went on and he said though that none of us, meeting the collectors today, will ever have the time to do it, and I have no idea who will ever do this again. Yeah. And that was my aha, like, there's a pitch. Like, yeah. you know, instead of you taking the time, invest in somebody who's already taken seven years to do it. Right. And that's the value of a museum. But that was my, that was my, that sitting in that car in that rainstorm was the moment wow. for it. <laughs> I love that. The ball of string story. That's fantastic. Yeah. How about proudest moments? Is there a moment in time? You probably had so many in your careers, but is there one in particular as it really relates to the museum that you could say was really your proudest moment? I would have to say it was the first time that I got an out-of-the-blue anonymous donor check for six figures. Wow. And it was to help pay for a study that we were working on, and I wasn't expecting it. And I didn't know how to explain it to Grandpa or Grandma or to the porter. I didn't, I didn't know who, but I was proud of it because it meant that this was about six or nine months into the process for mm-hmm. me. And it meant, from, a, from a, my proudest moment standpoint, it meant that there's somebody out there watching us that I don't know. Because right. this is coming from, coming from no place. Someone you probably touched at some point in time. I'm sure it was. Yeah. I just, I didn't know who it was, but it meant that we were hitting we were we were hitting a, a we were hitting a vein or a, a purpose here, right? And then, then it feels like and I'm sure the people that open their own restaurants or open their own retail shops or open any type of business when you start a business, you get that moment where you think, "Wow, this is like a real." check that I have to cash. Yeah. <laughs> this is a real thing that's going to get paid out to real expenses. Yeah. That's what made me feel, I, I was very proud of that. You know, it's like carrying the check around with me for like a day. Sure. <laughs> like, yeah. And yeah. look at it and make sure it's real. Cause, and uh, that was pretty much about 90% of our total operating budget for the year. No, I'm kidding. That's actually, <laughs> we had a lot of great support, but it was a very large gift to get for one organization, one person. Yeah, absolutely. All at once. Huh. With no announcement. It was great. Fantastic. That's a wonderful story. Let's have a little bit of fun here. What was your first really special car? And if you could share a memory you had with that vehicle. I still have it. And of course, you're a LeMay. You don't sell anything, right? Yeah, I wasn't going to sell it. Yeah, well, speaking of that, it's funny because I have a car that I bought from my grandfather. Mm-hmm. And he only, we figure he sold six or seven cars while he was alive. Oh, my gosh. It's about what it comes down to. And it's, it's, it's less than 10, we think. A little bit of that might be missed because there might be something he just kind of touched and then was passing on because he was getting it for somebody. But sure. in general, there's six or seven. And remember when I was telling you about tagging these cars, and I was, I'd toil out in the buildings and the fields and doing all this during the summer. And it was the summer when I was 15 years old, or I came back to the office, and there was a guy there that had this, this beautiful 1966 Chrysler 300. Mm. So it's light blue. It's just just gorgeous car, and I start talking to him, and 
it's got, I mean, it's got the chrome on the seat backs, and it's got the whole, you know, and it's only got like 14,000 miles on it. So it's like a brand new Chrysler. Yeah. And so I said to the guy, I said, are you, what are you doing? And he said, well, I was looking for a Harold Plumet because I wanted to sell the car, but he's not here. And I said, well, what do you want for the car? And he said, $1,000. And I said, well, and I'm thinking in my head, well, I just so happened to have earned about that much at three twenty-five <laughs> an hour this summer. Yeah, yeah, a lot but of hard work. <laughs> the problem was I didn't, I didn't have a checkbook. I didn't have anything. I had it all in a, like a Puget Sound Bank account or an account at Puget Sound Bank, and it was like a quarter mile away. So I, says, I said to the guy, if you just sit and wait here, I will be back with $1,000 cash in 15 minutes. <laughs> and the guy's like, all right, that sounds like a deal. So I run all the way down past the lumber and pass through everything, and I get there, and I convince the bank manager to give me $1,000 and $20 bills, most money I'd ever held at one time in my life. And I go running all the way back to the office down the street. I get there, and the car is sitting there, and the guy is gone. Uh-oh. And I'm like, all right, what's up with this? So I go walking in the office, and I look up through the stairway at the entrance to the office, and... Guess who's sitting there at his desk? I'm guessing your grandpa bought the car. Yeah. Yeah, that's kind of what I thought. <laughs> I said, well, what's the deal with the Chrysler? And he said, oh, yeah, that was a good buy. Oh, jeez. <laughs> and basically, he had paid $900 for the car. <laughs> yeah. But he, he had cash right there. Yeah, sure. So I had lost out. So I said, well, let me buy the car. And he said, well, it looks like, and he gets out, he gets out the old car price guide. I'll never forget this. He gets out the old car price guide and he says, well, it looks like, it, let's say it's number three condition. I think it's number four, but let's say it's number three. All right, it looks like it's worth about $1,650. Uh-oh. He goes, I'll make you a deal. Oh, jeez. I'll sell it to you for $1,500. Oh, Why no. Why do you have $1,500? Oh. So I had to wait for the next summer to work long enough to get enough money to buy that stupid car for $1,500. Oh, <laughs> moral of the I story. Said 50%. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Well, that's a tough lesson to learn from old grandpa. <laughs> that was a great lesson, though, because he was great. He, he was going to make 50% profit. Yeah. I was working for him, so he was getting my labor. Yeah. So it was basically, it was turning around his money. Uh, but the other thing is, is, I've never let that car basically out of my sight for the 30 years since then. I mean, I just, <laughs> that car, my wife says, will be buried in it. I mean, I just, I've spent so much money storing that stupid car. It's not stupid. It's a great. It's actually, it's a great car. It still only has about 35,000 miles on it. Oh, fantastic. I love that story. What a great lesson. How about current projects? Is there a project that you're working on right now that really has you excited and fired up? Oh, absolutely. With uh, Mary Mouse, just got a lot going on. I mean, that's been one of the things. It's the LeMay Family Collection at the Mary Mount Event Center. And one of the things we really tried to do and I've been really excited about is making a real commitment to our education programs. And Mm so right now we've scheduled in February, for instance, a a whole month of seminars and presentations and things. They're just a a bunch of different topics from everything from vintage hats to vintage motorcycles. I mean, it's just, it's a bunch of different topics, but Marymount has just been wonderfully exciting to watch develop because it's gone from being kind of a storage place. It's now a functioning museum. It's got game legs now. And 
It's got full catering facilities, and people are getting married there, and they're using it as a wedding facility. And we've had grads, we've had senior balls from Tacoma High Schools there. We've had, I mean, all types of stuff. Oh, what fun. Now, Eric, here's a funny question for you. If you were a car, what kind of car would Eric be, and why? I would be the car I drive today. <laughs> really? What is that? It's a 2005 Mustang convertible, GT. And why Why are you a Mustang convertible GT? Because it's really useful. It's nicely styled. I love the fifth generation styling on that particular Mustang. It's very utilitarian in that I can use it as a daily driver very easily. It's got a really big stereo system in it, so the amp takes up like the whole trunk. It's just <laughs> awesome how loud the stereo is and i love driving with the top down on it i mean i just it's a fun it's a fast little it's not little but it's a speedy car that just but it also gets like 18 miles to the gallon so it's practical (laughs) there you go perfect you know i mean it looks good has a name is practical and fun there you go there you go All right, Eric, we're up to what I call the last lap, and this is where I'm going to fire off a series of questions and ask you to give our listeners some very quick blips of the throttle answers. So are you ready? Sure enough. What's the best automotive advice you've ever received? Never be afraid of getting caught in the rain with the top down. (laughs) Okay. Would you share one of your personal habits that you believe has contributed to your success? Always picking up the phone and calling somebody instead of emailing them or texting them or doing anything Uh, else. I always do a phone call. Great advice, and you did that with me, and I was very appreciative. Do you have a resource that you'd like to share with our listeners? Maybe it's a website that you frequent or a blog that you get? The best resource is is if you go to museums, and I don't care if it's a car museum necessarily. I mean, obviously, it's true at car museums, but anywhere in the country, if you go to the car museum, you're going to find docents that are there, mm. and you're going to find people that are experts beyond what you could imagine in any place, and those resources are all around you. Yep. And it, it, I think that that's like one of the most underused things is how many really great experts are associated with our car museums all across the country. I do a weekly blog here at Cars, yeah, and I was writing my blog for this Friday, and I had a question about Rolls-Royce, and I have a friend. She's actually been on at Cars Yeah, Diane Brandon. She's a, one of the, if not the only female judge at Pebble Beach. She's a Bentley Rolls-Royce expert, and I had a simple question, but I didn't know the answer, and instead of Googling it or going out there and trying to search, I just gave her a call, and she said, yep, here you go, and I love using people as resources. That's great. How about books? Is there a book that you could share with our listeners that you are really fond of? I go through about a copy every three years of the standard catalog of American cars, 1805 to 1942. <laughs> okay, there you go. <laughs> the, the standard catalog, I mean, I, I'll have a copy in the, my car in the back seat, and I'll have a copy in my office, and I'll just have one that's sitting on the shelf in the house. And and if there's stuff I see in an old movie or anything, I, I just, I go through it all the time, and it's, it's so well done, and it's so much fun to try try to see if you can figure stuff out. Yeah. Oh, perfect. Well, I'll remind our listeners that you can find links to these resources at com slash Eric LeMay. 
All right, Eric, we're up to the checkered flag. And this last question can be a real doozy for some people. If you could only have one collector car in your garage, and money is no object, so today I'm going to buy you whatever you like, but you can only have one in your garage and you've got to keep it, what would that one car be and why? A 1993 Cadillac Alante. Wow. Now, for a guy who's been around so many cars, why that one? Well, first of all, it's got a North Star V8 in it. It's got power. So it's a little bit why I like my Mustang. And the, you know, it's got power and it's got looks. It's got a digital display. It's one of the first cars to have that. It was the Indy Pace car that year. It has dual airbags, and you can turn off the passenger airbag. This is what this is what first really got me into it was you can turn off the passenger airbag so you can put a car seat in it, and when I when my daughter was riding around in a car seat, that mm-hmm. was really important to me. Oh, of course, but I never did get around to buying one. But I thought that that was really important to have the dual airbag. <laughs> Wonderful. And then I love the fact it's two hundred ninety five horsepower and and it has two tops, so it has a hard top and a soft top. Although the hard top was optional that year, I think they're already collectible, but I think they're going to be even more so down the road because they it's kind of like Cadillac finally got it right and then they quit making them <laughs> exactly well very cool very interesting choice well Eric you've taken us on a great ride today and I've really enjoyed your stories and I want to thank you for sharing your journey with me and with the Cars Yeah listeners would you give us one parting piece of guidance before you drive off into the sunset in that Cadillac well I, I just encourage people to go out and visit their local car museums and support them. Obviously, if you're in Tacoma, there's the LeMay Family Collection at Marymount, which is a great museum. LeMayMarymount.org is the website. We've got about five or 600 cars that are on display. There's a self-guided part, and then we have docent tours that leave at regular intervals that you can do even more cars with. But mostly just getting out to visit. Wherever you are, you probably have a really great car museum near you. That's fantastic, and I'll make sure that we post that again up on your show notes page, and everyone can find that at carsyeah.com slash Eric LeMay. Eric, I want to thank you again for being so generous today with your time and your expertise and for sharing your amazing journey with me and the Cars Yeah listeners. Until we talk again, I'll see you down the road. Good fun. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah. Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up, a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah.